Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On this edition, can't wait to hear how Enzo Fernandez became a British record signing. Who never felt more like singing the blues? We'll hear the continental reaction to the price tag. Also, can a Man City loan signing buy the buy-in coach time to get his team back up where they belong in the Bundesliga? And in La Liga, should Barcelona be singing, we are top of the league, we are top of the league? Or, brother, can you spare us a dime? Lots to talk about. First of all, as we, this is the first on the continent since the closing of the January transfer window, uh, where, of course, British clubs, English clubs, more precisely, or Premier League clubs, spent more than absolutely everybody else. I'm not the only one who's wondered how that has gone down in Europe. Vic on Twitter says, how do clubs in Europe feel about the financial might of the Premier League? Which league do you think this affects the most, Andy? I think there are a a couple of layers to how clubs in Europe feel about it. Because I think if you go back to the Premier League TV deal before the current one, when that was signed, there was definitely a collective gulp in France, particularly, and to an extent Germany, thinking, shit, we're stuck here. You know, what what are we going to do? How are we going to keep up with this amount of money? But then what you see is... The possibility of once once you realise that you can't possibly keep up in the arms race, you work out a way around that. And the way around this, David, and I think we've especially seen it with the Enzo Fernandez transfer to, to to Benfica, is you can fill your pockets, and if you've got the right strategy, you've got the money to live out all your dreams, the money that you wouldn't have expected before. Now. I think which league this affects the most. I still think it's France because I think you look at the Dango Atara deal um, from um, Lorient to Bournemouth, an extraordinary amount of money, really. I mean, they sold their two best players and made over 50 million euros from doing it this this summer, which will, I think, slow them in the second half of the season, but they're not in danger of getting relegated. Fine. It's an enormous amount of money for, for Lorient. And I think for those middle-ranging French clubs a huge injection of cash is something like this. But I think you look at the top of the Portuguese league as well. And when you look at long-term between Benfica and Porto, the fact that I don't think there's, you can miss the correlation that Benfica have been more successful than Porto over the last decade and a bit when they've sold a lot better, basically. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
I think it affects everyone in different ways, but I think you can forget competing. You can't compete with the Premier League anymore now in terms of financial level. And it's the gap's only going to increase, by the way, as well. There's more money coming at the TV, uh, coming at the Premier League. The marketing is simply on a different level to any other league. Uh, La Liga, Serie A, Ligue 1. Um, I think but, it's exploiting international rights better as well, isn't it? That, that's something that the Premier League does very well. And I it? don't think that any other league has done that as well. Um, I think even in La Liga's heyday of the Ronaldo-Messi wars, they didn't market their league to the best extent, I don't think. Whereas they marketed towards two teams, but I still think they don't even they didn't even do it enough then. Um, there was always gaps in the TV rights in terms of what was televised, what what there wasn't. There still isn't now. Copa del Rey games not being televised in England um, and elsewhere as well. The Carabao Cup is on everywhere. It's in every single nation mm. and it will get viewers yeah. as well. Yeah. Spain isn't doing that with their cups. Then Christ, they're not even doing it with their league as well. And this, I think, lies in the problem that it's not being marketed correctly and the Premier League's TV money will continue, like I say, will continue to grow. And I don't think anybody else's TV deals is going to grow. But this isn't, the question isn't about competing with the Premier League, is it? The question is about something much more fundamental, perhaps. It says, which league do you think that the Premier League's uh, vast amount of money affects the most? And when you say France on the one hand and Portugal, will, uh, Portugal arguably on the other hand, mm. they're both selling countries. But is there something fundamental, particularly with France, about the structure of their league and there, which we know is biased towards one particular club dominating and then everybody else having to follow behind. Is that the reason why this impacts on them the most? Maybe, but I, I think this like predates even the QSI era of, yeah. of, of PSG potentially. You know, I think there's always been this relationship. I, I think even before PSG get planet size big as they are at the moment, I think you look at Leon when they won seven titles in a row at the peak of their powers. What do they do when players reach optimum value? They they sell them to the Premier League. You know, you look at um, Michael Essien going to, to to Chelsea, for example. But that's not necessarily a negative thing. It arguably no. strengthens the the French teams that we're talking about. No, no I, I think I think you're right, and I, I think those other French teams have have, have learned how to live with it. I, I think you look at a player like. Um, I guess Jordan Veretu, who's had a very good career, who's France international player, doing very well at Marseille um, this season, having done pretty well in um, Italy when he was when he was over there with Fiorentina and and Roma. But he was one who moved to the Premier League a little bit too early. Now, whether it's good for the development of the players, I think is a, is a, is a different question, Don. But like you look at when Nantes had Veretout, who they brought through their academy, they get this offer from Villa. And at, at, at the start, they're saying, we're not selling him. We're not selling him. He wants to be here. We can develop him. He'll be ready to go in a year or two. And then they're like, how much money are you putting on the table? All right, maybe maybe that, we've changed our minds. That changes everything. Yeah. It changed it, with Ajax with um, yeah. Anthony in the summer as well. They said, look, exactly. we're, we're fine. Our, our balance sheets are great. We, we don't actually need to sell. We've already done some big sales. We're fine. We don't need to sell it. But when a club comes down and they slap a hundred million down on the table, it changes your perspective of absolutely everything. Agreed. That's when your stance completely goes out the window because the sums are that ridiculous and clubs can offer it. And I, this, this essentially is what's happened with Enzo Fernandez, isn't, isn't, isn't it, David? Because yeah. I think, bear in mind, they bought him last summer from River Plate for 10 million euros. They have just sold him for 121 million euros less than a season later. <laughs> and the thing that really changes... 
Because as I've said elsewhere, the moment that Enzo Fernandes arrives in Portugal and starts playing for Benfica, he's one of those where you're like, he's too good for this he's league. A sh- he's a sure thing. He's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's, a, he's a sure thing. He's going he's gonna to go quickly. He'll probably last the season and then go. The difference is, there's the World Cup slap bang in the middle of this, in which he's not a starter at the beginning for Argentina, and which is mad, by the way. Mm. The, the, the way the, the way that and Scaloni ends up doing it very well, working everything out very well during the World Cup. But he doesn't start for the first two games. is is bonkers. He plays a slightly different role, which I think sh- for Argentina than he does for Benfica, mm. which I think shows you his versatility. Yeah. And again, like it's confirmation bias of him being the real thing, as, as, as David was saying. But the thing I think that took Benfica aback during the World Cups, the World Cups just starting, is they've got this clause and most of the contract buyout clauses in Portugal, which you legally have to have in, in the contract, they're, they're almost preventative. So if you've got 120 million for Enzo Fernandes, it's not that you think he's worth that, but it's a bargaining position. You can't make people, but people can't make you sell him. But then when the World Cup starts, there are clubs and not just Chelsea who start making offers near the buyout clause and they're like, shit, are we going to be able to keep yeah. him for the season? And uh, the, probably not. And then the only thing that they could disagree on was just the form of payment. I think Chelsea yeah. were trying to stagger it over more payments. Benfica were trying to whittle it down a little bit and then eventually they got there and they had an agreement. But I tell you what I'm worried about and I don't know what you think about this is and it, it's linked to Enzo. I'm worried there's like a low to mid-level pipeline that might get choked for clubs like Benfica. So Carlos Alcaraz went from the Racing Club in Argentina to Southampton. Yes. And Benfica apparently had him identified as a potential Enzo replacement. Mm. Now, this is the problem. Premier League clubs are starting to become savvy to those level of players. The players that clubs are looking to replace their stars who are about to leave for the hundreds of millions. So that's going to take away that kind of rung on the ladder for a Benfica. They're kind of, so I think that's what hurts them. So then they can't get a player in, then they can't sell on anymore because mm, they haven't got that player that to sell is... on to the amount of money. Whereas it's now in Southampton to develop that player and maybe they want to do the Benfica thing, get Alcaraz playing really well one year in the window and then hopefully a Chelsea, a Manning United, an Arsenal comes in for him and pays the big money. And that's what worries me for teams like Benfica. And that's where you make the greatest money anywhere in football by selling players between Premier League clubs, which is exactly, if we're going all the way back, why Mascherano and Tevez got parked at West Ham in the first place. Because once you sell players within England, and this was the same 15 years ago yeah. as it is now, that's where you make the, and that, the, the most would, amount of money. That's what would worry me the most. And there's, there's, there's examples all over the place. I think you, you'll know with Ligue 1. Um, Uatara has gone to Bournemouth. Mm. Uh, Solomana um, has also left to Southampton. Mm. And again, they're two players you'd think, hmm, Maybe a Leon or a Marseille are going to pick those up for maybe 15 to 20 million, develop them, and then sell them on for maybe 60, 70 million. I think so that level's been cut out as well. Do you well, see what well, well, you've brought into this conversation is so profound, actually. We have to watch that space because I think it, you do have a point that this is happening even before our eyes. Having said that, though, there are players who are not taking the English shilling, as it were, Vitinha chose to stay or to go to France rather than to go to Southampton, for example. Yeah. How, how does that work? There will be a level of players who think, no, uh, Premier League, fair enough, but I'd rather play in these leagues. So will that not even things out then? Well, what, what, those mid-level what, what, da- what David was saying about what Premier League clubs are doing, changing the behaviour of others, this is a good example of that, but in a different way. Because... Marseille moved first for Vitinha. Uh, not to be confused with PSG Vitinha, by the way. Um, 
as uh, Fernando Santos, who nearly picked him for the Portugal World Cup squad, <laughs> referred to him. Uh, Vitinha from Braga. Is, 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 is the, the way he put it right, he could have said Virginia the striker not <laughs> yeah, the midfielder yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah he's, he's, he's a forward um, developing really fast he's been brilliant this season great left foot terrific movement can score goals can set up goals and Marseille moved first for him but Braga say he's got a 30 million buyout clause and Marseille are like oh that's a bit rich for us you know we've already spent a, a bit of money this window we've spent a bit of money Last summer, we, we're going to have to leave it. And then Southampton come in and obviously go, well, 30 million, no problem. And then Pablo Longoria, who we've talked about before, 36-year-old president of, of, of Marseille, used to be a um, sporting director um, of Valencia and at Marseille. So scout he, as well. He's, yeah, he's and a really scout. worked himself. So, so, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's in an incredible position, but he's smarter in the transfer market than than 99% of presidents. So he comes in and says, actually, never mind, can we afford to buy this player? Can we afford not to buy this player? Because, David, he's developing at such an incredible rate, as, as we've said, he's on the brink of the Portugal squad when you bear in mind the attacking players they've got. I think you look at it if you're Marseille and you think, okay, well, we've got to be careful because we're close to the financial fair play limit and we could be punished severely if we step over the line. But... If Vitinha keeps developing at the current rate, we're not going to be able to afford to buy him ever again. So let's find a way of paying that clause. And they have done sort of what Chelsea did with Enzo and sort of what Atletico did with Joao Felix when they bought him from Benfica, in that they have paid Braga a little bit more than the clause. They paid 32 in the end rather than 30 for the right to pay it in instalments. Mm rather than do a kind of hostile buyout, if you like, and, and, and trigger the clause and it, it is out of the club's hands. And I think they're thinking, if we get a good year, year and a half out of him, we knock him out for, for, for twice that price. But, but that's a, a risk that they've considered palatable. I think as well, I think Braga, if you look again, it goes back, I think, to the main factor at the top of the conversation of the TV money. How many did Braga get um, at home, home games? Well, they, they get 100 million... Their current deal is 100 million euros for 10 years. Yeah, and their home games, so what's their attendance? They'll get about... About somewhere, somewhere between, depending on the opponents, anywhere between 10 and 20,000. Right, okay. So they're getting Bournemouth, about, what, 11,000, 12,000? Yeah, there? they'll probably build that same yeah. amount, I reckon, yeah. of the American but, money. But Bournemouth have got the TV money, so they yeah. can do the deals yeah. like that, and that's yeah. the difference mm. Braga can't. They're dictated yeah. to... Look, these clubs, their main source, their main stream of revenue is to sell players. It's not TV mm. money. So Bournemouth and, and in different clubs, Brighton as well, they can turn down now. But we've seen with Brighton, Moy Caicedo. Mm. We've seen what happened there. Brighton can turn now turn down 70, 80, 90 million <laughs> because they've got the TV money. They know, oh, it's okay. Whereas Braga, they can it. They have to say, all right, we're going to have to sell them. Mm. This is our main source of uh, income. It's a fascinating conversation. No doubt we'll return to this. Uh, there's one thing I have to mention in this one, just because my younger brother's name is Folarin. So I know how to pronounce it, Yeah. <laughs> Falarin Belogan, he chose France again over the Premier League. Why is this happening? I think in his case, it's just a little, it's what you might call a gap year abroad for him. Obviously, Balogun still belongs to Arsenal. Top scorer in the league at the moment. Above Mbappe, which obviously has something to do with Mbappe missing two pens, well, missing a twice-taken pen twice, and then pulling a hamstring at um Montpellier last night, which was a big worry for them. But while that was happening, 
up the road in Champagne country. He's playing at Rons, a very famous name, Balogun, and um, scored a hat-trick against the aforementioned Lorient, which makes him top scorer. And I think it's... Look, Will Still, as you might have read about the 30-year-old English slash Belgian, is doing a really good job in charge there. Nevertheless... And they're they're fifteen unbeaten, which is 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 pretty amazing. But the spread of Balogun's goals, the variety of finishes in a team that doesn't really create that much for him to be top scorer in this division. If you're Arsenal, you're not letting him go. Like to have him as backup in your squad, pushing to get in that eleven next season. I mean, he looks he looks ready. His equaliser at PSG last last weekend was just a masterful finish. Yeah, he's got. A lot, I think he's got a lot of variation to his game. I was looking, I was just watching the game back last night, the extended highlights just focused on him. And it's interesting, he can receive the ball to feet with his back to goal. He can also run and do it as well, bend his runs and get in between the centre-back and the full-back. He can also drift out wide. He can start from deep as well. He's got a lot to his game. And it's, it poses an interesting question for Arsenal because I don't think, because I think we'll bring him back. I tell you what, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. I wonder if they think, oh, this lad's still young. Do we keep him in our squad? Look, we're mm. going to be in a lot of competitions next year. There's going to be a lot of pressure. And, you know, if they win the league, which I think they will, then there's going to be a bit more, you know, pressure on them. So do we keep him in the squad? Do we loan him out to a Premier League club just to get a look at him in the Premier League, see mm. how he adapts to the Premier League? Or three, his value is up right now. He's popped off. Do they maybe sell him for a 30 million or whatever like that and put it towards maybe a top line ready now striker rather than with somebody to develop so and I think they've got go, a few options there go Barcelona buyback genuinely yeah, yeah I think that's another option for them so I think they've got yeah. three decent options there yeah my brother Falarin will be so pleased to hear that <laughs> <laughs> um, he's the black sheep of the family he's a gooner There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. 
Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash ramble. So, moving on to the Bundesliga, you've got uh, the manager of the team that is supposed to be at the top of the Bundesliga traditionally, Bayern Munich, under pressure. We're talking Julian Nagelsmann there. But it's not surprising, is it, that he's under pressure? Because have they won a a single Bundesliga game this year? No, they've not. Three games, three draws uh, since they've, they've come back. First time since 1978. It's remarkable. So uh, we have to say, to put it in some sort of perspective, they won 4-0 at Mainz in in the Cup last night, a game in which uh, Joao Cancelo, who we might come to in a second, um, made his debut, assisted for Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting for for the opening goal after 17 minutes. It looked looked pretty good. Um, But I guess with a player arriving who fills what can only be described as a problem position for Bayern. Why? What problem? They've 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 really struggled to find the the, the right right back now. Maserati's come in. I I don't think there's a suggestion that he's quite at that level yet. Benjamin Pavard has always really been a centre back playing at right back. They don't want to play Kimmich there because they they miss him in midfield, and you need basically an equivalent of Alfonso Davies on on the other side, and that's that's what Cancelo is at the least. It feels like slightly understating the value of. Um, of, of of Cancelo to talk about him as a counterpart for another player, but you know Alfonso Davies is a very complete footballer, so I don't, I don't think it's any 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 sort of slight at all. Um, and so it's it's a big plus for them. That also means less excuses because with Nagelsmann, it's felt that I think the the concern has really been, and especially after the draw against Eintracht Frankfurt at the weekend, where they they led and then. Um, you had uh, Randall Colomuani, who you may remember from such efforts as the World Cup final and nearly scoring the winning goal in it, um, got the equaliser for Eintracht Frankfurt in that, which was, I think, a, a light bit of theft at, at the very least. The Bayern were really good in that game, I thought. They played well in the second half against Köln, where they needed a last-minute Kimmich equaliser, as we were saying last week, to get a draw as well. Um, but the concern around Bayern is the fact that if you're playing well and not finishing games off, that's the opposite of normal Bayern, really. Bayern are able to cruise through games normally and then bring their individual quality to bear in big moments. But when you're in a position where they haven't got that killer instinct, it's led to people all of a sudden looking, actually, is this a mood set by the coach? And obviously, they've invested a lot in Nagelsmann, world record transfer fee for a coach to bring him across, five-year contract, 
I don't think anyone's thinking about binning him right this second, because not least because it would make them look stupid and be horrendously expensive. But people are starting to question the sort of atmosphere that he's creating. It's understandable. Look, they're a big club there. They've got more resources than everybody else. Um, you know what I mean? You'd, you'd look and as well. that It's quite striking. So they paid Leipzig £82 million for Open Meccano, Sabitzer and Nagelsmann, right? And Nagelsmann included, don't forget, he came from mm. there as well. And they're still only two points above Leipzig in the Bundesliga <laughs> table. So things like that, will people will throw that at you. Now, I think here, I'm, I'm a big fan of Nagelsmann, so maybe I'm going to be biased here. I think the players have let them down really, really badly. I think there's a casual sort of look to them. I don't think they're playing, you know, with the same energy um, and vibe that they usually do. Well, they gain off to the Paris Fashion Week whenever they can. Precisely. Well, there you go. One of the players, K- case, that... case in point. But and, isn't, isn't but, that allowed? Aren't footballers allowed to have days off? Well, not when, yeah, not when you're allowed? shit. You have to be in all the time, mate. You can't leave the training ground. If you're <laughs> Maybe I'm, maybe I'm being a bit soon as Roy Keeney uh, escaping. This, this, this from a man who definitely wouldn't go to Paris Fashion Week on his day off if he was a footballer. <laughs> you didn't have to speak um, French. It's Paris Fashion Week. You didn't have to speak um, the language. And I think, and, and genuinely, if you hear as well the reports in the German media, they say that Nagelsmann's actually bent a lot of his ways towards the players as well. He's talking to them a lot more. He's been a bit more personal to them. He's stopped over-engineering tactics. He's stopped, you know, exaggerating things, complicating things. He's, he's gone back to brass tacks, as it were, with them a little bit. But again, there's been no upside from them at the moment. Now, I think two things are going to change it. I think, one, what we touched on, Xiao Cancelo. I think he plays that inverted fullback role that Nagelsmann wants from his team, um, you know, to have. I think he plays that better than Pavard. I think I don't think Pavard can play that. I also think Pavard's probably got an eye on a move in the summer as well. He, mm. You know, there's a lot of talk about that as well. So I think that's got a lot to do with things. And then Sadio Mane. They've not had him enough in that team you know, to get yeah. a rhythm with him. Now, he's back in training, he's back kicking the ball, so hopefully he'll be back soon. So, look, if you're putting Jao Cancelo and Sadio Mane back in a team, we're talking two players who in the what? The last few seasons in the Premier League have been the best players, uh, up mm. with the best players, yeah. both of them. So, that's a massive injection of quality and I think energy as well and that's what this team needs, energy, because they just look so casual to me. This question from Plamen, and I hope I'll pronounce it right, on Insta, is the one. Uh, given what you've just said a moment or two ago, Andy, about Nagelsmann being the record coach signing, etc., the question simply is, is Nagelsmann the project manager that Bayern think that they want but don't? Could Bayern really fire him? I, th- I think they do want him. I think they definitely want him. Mm. And with Bayern, I think if you look at the last decade... It's all been about aesthetics. Where they wanted to move in going, and we've talked about this before, in going um, Van Hal, Heinkers, Guardiola, mm. is into a point where you've got this club that's incredibly commercially successful. You want to create a Bayern brand of football. And of course, that brand of football that they're going to play under Nagelsmann is different to the sort of football that they played under Guardiola, which I think is an absolute peak for Bayern, by the way, even if they didn't win the Champions League. But... They want something that's philosophy-driven. So I think that's very, very important. Now, the the problem is, what Guardiola was very good at doing, and obviously Guardiola represents a pinnacle for most clubs on the pitch. I, I don't think you can argue with that. You know, One of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of his, his generation. And I think what what is so understated about what Guardiola did at Bayern is how he combined... And he's, he's done it at Manchester City, how he's combined the more native characteristics of the club and the team with his own ideas. He's not sought to 
make them Barcelona. And that that's what he did really Is that well. The qualities of a project manager, because I wouldn't have thought that he would be regarded as a project manager. I think he is. He is a project manager, though. Really? Yeah, he, he is. Because Pep Guardiola. Yeah, because he creates he creates a philosophy and an identity. He doesn't just make the team win. There's more to it than that. He creates um, a whole ethos. So I think in his way, yes, he is. He is so, a project. So what manager. is the project at Bayern Munich that Nagelsmann? Is to bring manage it. To, to bring back an essence of philosophy that they haven't had since Guardiola was there. But what Guardiola was so good at doing is combining, as I said, the native characteristics of of Bayern with his own ideas. Like Bayern were more aggressive than any of the Barcelona teams he'd had, which I, I think is him combining what Bayern are about with what he's about. But the question is, can Nagelsmann, who's younger, less experienced? bit less authority, I, th- I think you have to say, even if people really respect him, can he combine Bayern's native characteristics with his way of playing the game? And that's that's the question at the moment, I think, because at the moment it feels as if there's a lack of genuine leadership on the pitch. Now, maybe Sadio Mane, who is an understated leader, changes that. But it doesn't feel that it's, that Kimmich is doing that for him. And you know, you were saying, David, that you feel the players have let him down yeah. to an extent. From that perspective, I totally agree with you. Yeah, that's exactly what I see. Honestly, it's the thing that's not... Look, Nagelsmann's got his flaws. Don't don't get me wrong. I think sometimes he can overcomplicate, over-engineer things, as it were. But ultimately, I think he's... Re- I think it's clear what he wants to do. I just don't think the players have executed it. I don't think they've shown any desire to execute it. Whether that's whether there's been a breakdown in communication between them, maybe that's something that Nagelsmann needs to improve. Still a very, very young guy, still learning, I think, in many ways as well, despite being in this massive job. Um, I think the players need to improve. That is the top thing here, top line. There are different types of leadership. Do you think they miss the surety of Lewandowski being that go-to guy? The fact that you can... You know that you can play crap for eighty-five minutes, and he can he can pluck you a goal out but of there. He's mid thirties; they can't be. They, they couldn't have been relying on that for much longer no, as well. You're right. I know. You're I, right. Don't forget me. Don't yeah. get me wrong. He's been brilliant for Barcelona, and they're really enjoying having him as well. But mm. that isn't going to be around for a long, long time. Yeah. You need to break away, and it's a very, very young squad at Bayern as well. They they brought in a lot of young players. The you know from Ajax as well, Gravenberch, uh, Masraoui. You know they brought these type of players in, and. <laughs> Look, you ha- they have to be given time to create their own identity as well. And that's why I think it would be ridiculous to get rid of Nagelsmann now. They need to give it a bit more time. They need to give them the rest of the season, absolutely. And then readdress things in the summer, see where they went wrong, see what holes they have. Nagelsmann looks at himself as well. But ultimately, I think Nagelsmann is the guy long-term for Bayern. Well, as soon as she heard that you were coming in today, David, our Ramble colleague, Kate Mason, thought... David, David Cartilage, I'll go to Barcelona before he does. And she did. And she sent this report back. All right, you sexy Europeans. Hi. Apparently you don't want 15 minutes on the bloody delicious food in Barcelona. So all I'm going to say is, oh my God, octopus and that creamy potato that goes underneath it. And also chocolate on bread with salt and oil. Unreal. Uh, the football. It was a really, really cold day in the Montalivi Stadium. Um, I can't speak Catalan, unfortunately, but I was able to pick up on, well, the main chant, which was as follows. Ansufati, whoa, Ansufati. Yeah, you get it. Um, and I was pretty excited to see him play. He had some nice touches, but actually couldn't get near 
the Girona goal, really, Girona had all the chances, to be honest. The main thing that was really good from Barcelona was their defence. They were a really strong defensive unit. Only goal was really a mistake by Paolo Gazaniga, which Pedri tapped in. So that's that was that was hard, but something I, you know, perhaps should have been expecting as I was just there, like loving him and missing him from Tottenham. Uh, so yeah, they looked like a unit defensively. They didn't really create any chances. I was quite surprised by that. It didn't look coherent to me. Yeah, that's our Ramble colleague, Kate Mason, our on-the-spot reporter when it comes to La Liga now, David. But nevertheless, you still have an important role in here because although she's talking about the food, and we'll come to uh, your own food recommendations for your Games of the Weeks later on, but she also talked about Barcelona's somewhat lacklustre on the pitch. Is that because of all their other worries off the pitch? They're top of the league. Mm. They, they, they should be styling it out now. They should be partying on the pitch, shouldn't they? Yeah, 50 points, record haul. But eight points clear of Real yeah, Madrid yeah, as Eight well. points clear as of yeah. last night, as of Wednesday night. Um, I think they are doing very well on the pitch. I just don't think... I think people had a particular idea of what Barcelona would be like under Xavi. Um, and they are a little bit removed from that. Um, they put defensive competence um, above a lot of things. Are we, are we, are we saying he's... He's Catalan Glenn Hoddle, surprisingly defensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting. Yeah, yeah, we could, <laughs> yeah, we could be. But at the same time, as well as that, I think if you watched them last night, I thought some of the offensive transitions were incredible. And Javi said himself that he had goosebumps by seeing those. So is 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 that the thing then when you consider like at the start of this week? Because as Kate says, the fact that they are so defensively competent mm. is is surprising. I mean, even after that Jules Koundé own goal last night for, for, for Betis, which was just a bizarre own goal, really, they have conceded seven all season yeah. in 19 games, which is absolutely remarkable. As we've said time and time again, the fact that Tostegan is having a great season again is, 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 is a big part of that. The way they defended at Betis last night, it felt to me like, that, yeah, that they... I think they did play within themselves more at Girona at the weekend. Mm -hmm. um, but they really earned the right to play at Betis. And you have to, because Eliopolis is a bear pit, by the yeah. way. But especially in that first half, they defended really, really well, I thought. Really well organised. They've just got they've got some things done really, really nicely in terms of organisation. Just about keeping your line straight, about everybody pushing out together at the same time, everybody coming back in. They've got they've got that down to a T. I think they're really, really well dr drilled, really well coached there. I think Xavi's got that through to them. And it's impressive considering, look, I'd say it's the, <laughs> this is the mad thing. I think defence is the weakest area of the team if you look at it on a pure personnel level. Mm, yeah, they, well, uh, well, it, when it hits the summer, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, well, the finances is another uh, well, I was going talk to say, of what they can do. But look, they've got, they need to buy a centre-back and they've got, and they've got a right-back at the moment in Jules Kunder who clearly wants to play a centre-back as well. So there's a few interests and, you know, Jordi Alba's probably going to leave as well, but they've got a brilliant young replacement, I think, already in him, uh, for him. And yeah, they're going to have to do some work there, but they are looking really, really good. In Although it's their defence in court that they're going to need to beef up as well, isn't <laughs> ah. it? I'm not trying to be funny. <laughs> But That's a great link. Hats off for that. But but you know they have got this legal issue that's still not quite over yet, and the league of themselves are going toe to toe with them in the courts. The, the Gavi thing is extraordinary. I think it was one of the extraordinary stories that was really missed on 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 deadline day. The fact that um, obviously he was a, a youth player who came through. They wanted to give him a, a very big pro 
first pro contract, um, one that gave him a 1 billion euro release clause. Talking of um, teams having a, a, a clubs having a release clause in there to protect themselves as, as much as anything else. Now, the thing was, La Liga had refused to ratify that because they're so, they were so close to the, the, the wage cap, Barcelona. So they asked La Liga for flexibility. Um, they told Barcelona no. So basically, Barcelona went to court and they were able to get the deal ratified. Now, they really needed to get it ratified because if it hadn't have been ratified by 23.59 on deadline day, Gavi could have walked away for nothing. There's nothing to suggest that he necessarily would have. But you just ask, how do Barcelona keep leaving themselves in in these positions? I think it's they're genuinely still feeling the effects of the Bartomeu era, which I think ravaged them so, so badly. The financial mismanagement under him and, and what have you and everything else as well. Um, they're still recovering from that. I think Spain has been particularly um, decimated by what happened with COVID and what have you with the stadium shut down. I think if you look at La Liga attendances generally across the board, they're they're down. They're not very good. There's not too much. Of it. There's no real weird day culture and such there. But getting back to Barcelona as well, they are still feeling the effects of that. And you know, Jean Laporta is trying to sift through all that, get Barcelona back on the, get back on them on the steady. But also, <laughs> he's spinning a lot of plates because he's wanting to bring young players through he's wanting Barca to have an eye on the academy but he's also wanting to make them competitive in the now and that's why they're signing that's why they've signed players players like Alonso Lewandowski Frank Hesse. Um so they're buying win now players as well or bringing in win now players as well as well as the academy players so that he's spinning a lot of plates in that sense so that is why they keep finding themselves in this position and it's why in the summer we're going to have the same discussion that we had last summer as well we're going to be talking about a Frankie de Jong uh, transfer saga we're going to be talking about Barcelona needing to find about 200 million Tebas himself he said you know that Barcelona need to find 200 million looking at their balance sheets and what have you so we're going to we're going to be going through exactly the same storylines again I think that's not easy to do is it? No it's it's very very difficult. Yeah, I was going to say something's missing though because they're they're ahead. You know, Barcelona. This is Barcelona ahead of their rivals, uh, Real Madrid by eight points in La Liga. They're going to win La Liga with you know without any other sort of hiccups, and and they don't seem that bothered about winning and being top of the league in La Liga. Well, I think I think on a financial level, that's 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 true certainly because for for their financial plan to work for Joan Laporta's financial plan to work they need to succeed in Europe. Yeah. That's already not possible this season and I say that with full respect for how exciting the last 32 time the Europa League is going to be with Manchester United is not a Champions League money spinner. If it's a Champions League game in terms of quality, tie in terms of quality and on paper it's not going to make them the money that they need. So, you know, winning the league will be nice. It won't fix any of their problems, the league is, which I think is the issue. The league is personal. The league is a um, you know, situation where they want to get back on top of Real Madrid and Spain and say, look, we're Spain's biggest clubs. That's a personal one. Emotional. Yeah, personal, emotional. Yeah. You know, it's one for the fans, just to say we're, we're the kings of Spain. Champions League, like Andy said, perfectly put, is much, much bigger in terms of financial impact. And the money, extra money that you can bring in off a Champions League run is, is absolutely remarkable. Um, it can boost your accounts up. And don't forget, Barcelona's pulled a few levers as well, so their accounts are going to look quite rosy in 2023 in terms of the revenue that they've generated, but they're still going to bring need to bring more money in. Which levers do they pull? Several levers. Okay. A lot of levers. I, I, actually, <laughs> a, a, a question for you, David, in terms mm. of the money they've generated to 
spend on on players short term, mainly mainly forward players, as you're mm. saying, Lewandowski, Rafinha. Um, if you were taking up an, an opposite position of they've been incredibly financially irresponsible, which I think is the one that a lot of people would take, and I would certainly edge towards. How much of that can be justified by the injuries to Ansu Fati? I mean, you heard Kate saying how um, you know much anticipation there is around him, and I think it's kind of like it's not quite the same, but it's a little bit like Saniolo in Italy. Mm. Everyone wants to believe. Everyone wants to believe that he can hit the level of that that early potential suggested. Injuries have really held him back. How much of that signing of forward players has been to compensate for the lack of him and has been to to protect him so he can be eased back in gradually? They've had a lot of players to replace. Neymar went first, Messi went, Mm. and then of course Luis Suarez went as well. So there's your your attack that was part of one of the greatest teams that you've ever produced all gone. You need to replace those. You're not going to get every decision after that right. And that's what's happened. They've got some correct. Um, I think Rafinha's been really, really impressive. He's done very well. I still think they would have bought him even if Ansu had been fit as Mm. well. Because they want depth in that squad and they know that, you know, that's how they need, that's what they need to compete. They can't just, you know, putting out a strong 11. They need to have depth there as well. So I understand why they've done that. And look, Memphis came in and they've obviously got rid of him now as well. So they've been fortunate in that sense. So there's going to be trial and error there, um, I think, with them. And it's understandable when you're getting off, you know, that pedestal of MSN, what's all gone, Messi Suarez, Neymar. So both of you, this is the first of our post-January transfer window game of the week recommendations. So I'm excited. Where are you going to go, David, with the game of the week recommendation? I'm going to the Netherlands. Top of the table clash. Um, we've got Feyenoord versus PSV Eindhoven. Sunday, 1.30. Um, I think it's going to be a stormer of a game. Um, I think, you know, if you look at the table, Feyenoord's, current, Feyenoord's currently leading the table at the moment. Uh, PSV, four points behind. Stuck in between them, sandwiching between with Zaz. Um, and I think we've got a real title race there. And um, I think, you know, a win here for PSV would make it extremely exciting uh, for the running. So that's the one I'm advising to watch. Don't get me wrong, but it sounds very cheesy. You damn cheesy. <laughs> That's what we're eating, is it? <laughs> That's what we're eating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I was actually going to recommend grilled cheese. So yeah, yeah, yeah do with yeah, do with Edom. Yeah, yeah, I'm quite enjoying a grilled well, cheese at the moment. But I'd, I'd say add some green chilies in it as well, just to spice it up. Okay. Yeah. Little tip. Very nice. Very nice. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to criticise Dutch cheese. It is what it is. <laughs> but. but <laughs> <laughs> See, I th- I thought I was the one who had to be worried about food because the thing is, I'm going to go for an Italian game. I'm going to go for it's it's, it's the Milan You're derby up against Nicky. It's the know. Milan derby. Well, that's that's the issue, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's 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 going to be uh, the Milan derby um, between Inter and Milan. Milan in absolutely abysmal form and only a couple of weeks off playing Tottenham in the, the Champions League, of course. After they lost 5-2 at, uh, at home to Sassuolo last weekend, Sassuolo, who are not having a great season by any stretch of the imagination, first time ever in Serie A that Milan have conceded four goals or more in successive league games. So a bit of a shambles. They look all over the place. Inter, who are incredibly hot and cold, of course, advanced in the Coppa Italia uh, this week. 
Um, but you never know what you're going to get from them. You, you're either... <laughs> saying something, isn't it? You're either going to get diamonds or dog dirt, to um, paraphrase David Bowie. Uh, so <laughs> I would say Inter are the favourites for this, but it'll be atmospheric. If Milan are going to get off the ground again, this is a, a great place to, to do it. So I think it's going to be an absolutely terrific match. Um, I was at an Italian cafe yesterday, and I was surprised by the amount of panettone that was still in there post-Christmas. I wonder if they overordered i would say help your local deli out <laughs> go there get yourself some sunblush tomatoes um some quality cured meats and for god's sake just buy a panettone Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 